Episode 23, Course Correcting. Welcome to the SaaS Venture Podcast. Sharing the adventure of leading and growing a bootstrapped SaaS company. Hear the experiences, challenges, wins, and losses shared in each episode. From Aaron Waikie of GatherUp and Darren Shaw of Whitespark. Let's go. Welcome to the SaaS Venture Podcast. I'm Aaron. And I'm Darren. And I just finished eating a chocolate chip cookie. What do you think about that? Yeah, sounds pretty good. I just finished eating a salad. It's like the exact opposite. <laughs> if my wife listens to this episode, I'm going to get yelled at. But when I got gas at the gas station, they have these big chocolate chip cookies. And yeah, this just looked like a great afternoon snack. <laughs> totally. And now, now you made me want to go get one. <laughs> I'll mail you one. Wow. I don't know if it'll be good by the time it gets here. <laughs> so what's been going on other than uh, salads and cookies? I know what's been going on. You spent all week last week hosting a massive virtual summit with four to 5,000 attendees. Like, Let's talk about that a little bit before we get into our main topic today. Yeah. So it's been huge. The summit was a massive success. We had actually 5,500 people register for the summit. Wow. And, you know, pretty great attendance to all the different talks. And so it was big and we've been getting nothing but a steady stream of positive feedback about it. Just people comparing it to other conferences and saying how awesome it was. And yeah, so it was a great success. People loved the content. Of course, I had some of the best speakers in the world, such as Aaron Weike, Mike Blumenthal, (laughs) you know, Joy Hawkins. So we had fantastic speakers. We basically... All the most known speakers in local search were there. Some heavy hitters outside of the local specific space, like uh, Rand Fishkin spoke, Michael King spoke, Brody Clark, who's really building a name for himself down under in Australia. He spoke as well. And so, yeah, it was a great conference. We had huge visibility and yeah, it was good. It was all good. It was so much work though. Oh my God, I can't, I'm glad it's over because not only was it so much work to put it together, I had my own presentation to do. The local search ranking factor survey had to get done out there, recreated, repull all the data, reanalyze all the data, build a slide deck, build a presentation around it and present it. And I I handed that in like Monday night, the night before we were going live with the conference. I handed in my recording and it was just a very stressful time. (laughs) Glad it's over. Yeah. No. And let's, I want to touch on a few benefits that you know, we noticed in having myself and Mike both from GatherUp speaking at it. Yep. Our parent company, Traject, was a, a sponsor as well. They use their sponsor slot to tease our social product, which has been rebranded called Fan Booster. Mm-hmm. And so, but I want to get back to seeing if you can quantify mm-hmm. the work you put into it all. But like on our side, right, the benefits with two speaking topics, we had great exposure. I can only guess, you know, you basically led off the conference with Mike, which I'm thinking was a nod to like hit right for a decade. He has been probably one of or the biggest thought leader in the space. Totally. And yeah, a great draw. And just, you know, the reason I love working with Mike is just the the levels he can think on. And he gave a great talk around review attributes, which plays heavily into our platform and mm-hmm. And things like that. And so 
And then two days later, because it was a three-day conference, and I talked on some things strategically rated, strategically related to reviews and reputation management. But you know, for us specifically, we saw double the leads last week of what we had been averaging like the four to six weeks prior. Um, which, you know, really great, right? Anytime you can 2X something is is fabulous. And, you know, it kind of returned our leads to like pre-COVID for a week, which is awesome. I'm probably going to be a little maybe frowny face next week when they jump down most likely again a little bit, but maybe some of those that like paid for the videos uh, and things like that are, are watching them this week and then they'll they'll still be interested to sign up. So we had a really great experience, a lot of Twitter conversation, which is always awesome, great, you know, in the moment mentions, new Twitter followers, things like that. So from our standpoint, it was fabulous. From yours, like what was the amount of work that it took you to put this together? I guess I just kind of want to frame up for any of our listeners that might be considering hosting a virtual conference as a marketing vehicle. Yeah, I would love to be able to quantify the hours. It's tough to say. We've been working on it for about six months, heavily working on it, certainly through July and August, lots of recording. So like there were 34 presentations, one of them mine, and then all the other ones I had to book an hour to record with that speaker. There was a ton of, you know, setting up all the speakers, doing speaker agreements, lots of chasing with regards to sponsorships too. So getting sponsors, going back and forth with them on a lot of stuff, writing up sponsorship agreements, getting the platform launched. We use a system called Hey Summit, which turned out really well, but getting that whole website set up. My own team, like if I think about what Jesse and Sydney put into it, it was almost like full-time job for them. And so hours probably, you know, hundreds, a couple hundred of hours have gone into like launching this thing. And so it was a lot of work. And not only that, we worked with a company called Hey Summit. So and they were great because they they helped everything keep everything organized. And they also did all of our video editing, got all the videos launched onto the site. And so yeah, I don't know, between all of us, maybe 300 hours is what it takes to put on a conference like this. If I had to guesstimate at it, maybe 400, three to 400. So that's a big investment. That's a big expense. The expenses broke even. So it's not, it's not really a money-making venture. We took any money that we got from sponsorship and we put it back into Facebook ads, Facebook, Instagram ads to market the conference. So our whole goal was to get that attendance list up as high as possible. And we managed to get 5,500 through all of our marketing efforts. And then ticket sales are you know, covering all the expenses, expenses of our company that we worked with. And speaker gifts. And so there's really nothing left in the end. It's not a money-making venture on its own. It was completely a marketing exercise for us to just get our brand in front of more people. Yeah. And so you did that at a very large scale. You also, too, because of right, the local search community is very niche. And they're really, you know, there's been a couple of attempts. You know, MozCon created their own local event and now they've just folded local into. MozCon itself, which is a very large event in the SEO community. But, you know, I really saw it as you took the opportunity of, you know, a premier event in local search has been vacated and you just claimed it heavily with what you did. And I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think it's cool that way. And it's like, 
This one was so successful that we can't not do it again. So it's going to be an annual thing. There's also some talk about doing spinoff conferences. Because we have all the talks pre-recorded, we could pull in a few new speakers that are specific to, let's say, dentistry. Like we get some like top dental marketing guys to come in and we do a few presentations with them. And then we pull out like, you know, eight good, like our favorite talks from the summit. And we've got a new conference and it's really easy to spin it up now. And so we're actually thinking about doing a bunch of industry specific conferences, a whole new set of sponsors, whole new marketing push. So it's an interesting angle that we can keep running with for additional exposure into different markets in terms of marketing WhiteSpark. So the marketing potential of this is pretty huge. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, you guys did a really great job. Internally, I was saying it made me miss 2019 because you know, conferences and public speaking are have been so important to gather up's growth and something that Mike and I are just wired to do, to share and network and connect through those events. And having that completely shut off in 2020 has been, you know, it's removed a major marketing arrow out of our quiver. So it was nice to see that bump. We've seen it with a couple of the local universities in small chunks as well. But It was really nice to have that happen. And yeah, I'm looking forward to what else you guys can do with it, with what you learned year one and what went right and what went wrong. And yeah, you brought a lot of great speakers and you got some new faces in there. And I think you worked really hard on that. So well done. Thank you. I was definitely proud, excited, jealous, like all of those things, which are all good. Right. Yeah, I'm excited about it too. I'm excited about the future of it. One thing that kind of stood out for me is that you talked about the surge in leads that you saw from your presentations. It was fascinating to me that we did not see that. Like as the sort of premier sponsor, the premier, we had, you know, four presentations from WhiteSpark. At the end of, you know, so many things, there was all these like, hey, WhiteSpark deals. But we didn't really see a big lift in leads or sales from it. And it speaks to me about, you know, we just don't have the greatest products and services that are of interest to people. You know, we are very heavily citation based and that's part of it, right? So citations are losing interest in the industry right now, but that's, it's a big part of what we do. And so it just wasn't like, oh, awesome citations. Like if I had done this conference six years ago, then I'm sure it would have been a massive business booster on the citation side of things. But, um, you know, our GMB service is amazing. And I think that uh, there's great potential there. We saw some growth from the conference there. But our products, they're a little bit scattered. You know, we got one for citations. We have one for reputation. We have one for rank tracking. But people, they're like, oh, I don't know what I should sign up for. So it's really like we have this grander vision of an integrated product that we're building and we're working on that. So, you know, getting that launched as soon as possible is certainly a takeaway from the conference. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And probably a super valuable takeaway, Darren. I mean, that could end up being, depending upon how that sits with you and what you do with that, that might be as valuable as the conference and the marketing and the exposure itself is like what it helped you learn something about yourself in a very fast cycle, right? Because you saw it as we had 5,000 people here with our name splashed all over it, leading the conversation, signed up through our website, like all of these things. And it didn't move our sales in any direction. Right. Right. Yeah. So yeah, no, that's really, that's, I don't know, telling slash interesting slash gave you some, you know, 
elongated, you don't notice it, right? If it's 5,000 users over a year, you don't notice it. But when it's over like a couple of weeks, like it's something that really caught your eye. Yeah, totally. And I think like we are dialed in for next year, right? So when we do this conference again next year, we will have our software in the place. And, and so it'll be that perfect combination. Like we know how to do this conference now. And so we do the conference, we have the right product to sell people. We can market it better and be in a much stronger position. So yeah, it's all good. All heading in the right direction. Yeah. You know, on the flip side of that, and maybe around, you know, the leads and the bump we saw is I've really been both enjoying and realizing lately, like we finally have what I feel is like a very mature solution. Right. And it's taken six years to get to that. And we still have things we want to do and a couple of big piece items, but really gone are the days where, you know, 50% of the questions a prospect might ask you, you didn't have a great answer for, or didn't have multiple options for, where now it's like, you know, 10% of the questions might fall into that or even less to what's there. That's amazing. Yeah. And that just makes it great that when we get exposure and we get in front of people, when we have the right marketing, it drives interest, leads, demos, sales for us. So it's really interesting to like to have that positioning now with it and understand that. And along those lines, like, you know, I wish we could do a ton more marketing right now. It's really, you know, the pandemic and the way there's a lot of wait and see in the economy, especially with like our larger enterprise prospects and customers. And it's such a like hard thing to figure out in so many areas right now. And like, Sales are really quiet for us on the upper end. Like our resellers are creating movement and single locations are still coming on. So like the, you know, if you frame it up as like onesie twosies, we're making it there. Our retention is great. We actually in August returned up above our pre-COVID revenue number. So it made, you know, we didn't dip too far down and it didn't take too much for us to climb back up and be back to, you know, growing again and have gotten above what we lost in the first kind of month or two and things like that, which is super encouraging. And I'm proud of our team for how hard across the spectrum everyone worked to make that happen. But it does get really, it's almost frustrating now to like, oh, we have so many of these pieces in place. And the one thing that we could like really get after is marketing and sales. And it is such a challenging marketing and sales environment right now. Right. Yeah, exactly. So it's so hard with the COVID situation. Every Budgets are tight. People are not really exploring new products right now. So yeah, I get that. And it's nice for you to be in that position. It's like, we're almost in opposite positions. You've got a very mature product that you are struggling to do the marketing for. We've got a really great marketing engine and not the mature product. So it's like, we've got to dial in our product. You've got to ramp up your marketing somehow. Well, and I think that serves as a great segue into the main topic that we want to talk about today. I will say, like, I think there's no better time to be building than right now. If people aren't buying, like, great, like, build so that when that releases, when that changes, when that gets better, like, you have more to offer. Like, anyone, if you're in position in your product and you know you have some product market fit or things going your way, like I would just double down on that so hard right now so that when budgets loosen up, things pick up, whether that's a couple of months, six months, 12 months, 24 months, whatever it is, like be in position to like command those dollars, like take what you would invest into marketing and put it into the product. That would be my uh, advice with this. 
Agreed. Yeah, hundred percent. That's what we're we're trying to do for sure. We're really focused on product right now and trying to stay focused. I got to stop distracting my team with all these side little. Hey, here's a cool tool we could build that that doesn't actually drive any revenue for White Spark, but hey, I want to build it because I love SEO. I need to stop doing that. All right. Well, uh, I'll try to hold you to that. I should probably stop eating gas station cookies, but <laughs> we know how these battles go. Yeah. Well, speaking of like you know, staying focused, you know, one of the things that's come up for us recently, and I, this is kind of the, the main thing, course correcting, is like we had this feature that, you know, I kind of got distracted with it. And I wanted to talk about that on the podcast today. It was like this idea that we were going to build this feature called screenshots in our rank tracker. So we wanted to add this feature to our local rank tracking product that would allow people to see an actual visual of the rankings. Actually, we take a screenshot of every page. So it seemed like such a good idea. So we built the thing. We spent probably a good month and a half, two months building this feature. We launched the feature. It has had zero impact on our sales for the most part. So it's been kind of useless from that perspective. And, you know, adoption rate of the feature was fairly low too. Some people liked it, but the thing that it ended up doing was, well, it was two months of, you know, development time, but then it was also, it's like hugely expensive to like, we had to spin up more servers to process everything. We had to implement new structures and our, our actual crawling budget is way more expensive. It's like a separate crawl for each thing. We have to store all of those screenshots for 90 days. So we're spending a ton of money on S3 storage now. And so it was like, we launched this feature, did not help our business whatsoever, cost us a ton, continues to cost us a ton in operating costs. And so it's like, we just made the decision to do the feature. And it's disappointed a few customers, but we sent the email, we dropped the feature, we had three people cancel. That's it, just three. And so we've now saved ourselves massive maintenance costs, massive like ongoing operating costs, and it really had no impact. And so it's like, you know, that's the topic that's been on my mind. And the main thing I really wanted to talk about. Yeah. So let's go back to the beginning. Where did this feature originate from? Was this an internal (laughs) idea, your idea, feedback from a customer? Like, what does that look like? It was feedback from a potentially important customer. And it was uh, really, it was Joy Hawkins that drove this feature. I blame you, Joy, if you're listening. (laughs) Basically, we launched the feature because Joy was like, listen, I'm using a competitor's tool. I really like your tool, but I can't use it because it doesn't have screenshots. I use screenshots all the time. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I've always wanted screenshots too. And so it's interesting to see how like, a decision like that can come from a single conversation with a single customer. And I think there's a big lesson there. It's like, do not drive your features by what one customer asked for. And we've gotten caught by that a couple of times where it's like, we hear one or two people ask for something, but it's like, does that actually appeal to the entire user base? Like, is it that important to invest the time into? And so it's an important lesson to prioritize your feature development based off of one, how how broad is the appeal for this feature? And two, what will it cost to build this feature? And I think we failed miserably on both of those. Yeah. Has it like spurned in you more ideas now how to validate? Like it still doesn't mean one person can't give you a great suggestion. Totally. 
But then, you know, how might you bring that to your audience or what exists in your communication flows with right now where you'd be able to say, you know what, we've actually had six other people request this, or I know some people that would be interested, or let me schedule a couple of calls with some of my power users and see what they think about it. And especially if it's a feature where when you rolled this out, were there any, were you asking people to pay more for it or you were just including it and eating up margin in your current plan? Well, sure. That's a, that's another good question. And another good lesson is that one, we should have added, had it as an add-on at the very least. So it's like, if you want this, you've got to pay extra for it, right? Uh, because it actually has significant additional operating costs, we should have charged for it. So that was another mistake made in the rollout of this feature. And then, you know, only the people that would have really wanted it would have paid for it. But even then, if I having the sort of looking back at it, I probably still wouldn't have done it because there wouldn't have been enough people interested that would have justified the cost to build it. But, you know, to your question, it has made me think about implementing something like Canny.io. Have you seen that? It's like this little feature request thing. It's like a software that you can have set up and customers can submit, hey, these are the features I want. And then they can upvote existing features that exist in there. And so it's like, that way, you know, you can kind of make sure that your development is driven by what your customers are asking for. And then you have a little widget inside the tools like, do you have any feature requests? Let us know. And then that goes over to Kenny. You know, I think that's a really smart idea. And it's got me thinking about what, you know, about adding that to our software. Yeah. And one thing I would almost suggest too, that even if it is something that you're not planning on, like feature gating in a plan or raising a price for, like, have a handful of phone calls, show them basic visual mocks or explain it. And then when they, you know, if you ask the question, like, you know, would you leverage this? Would this be something that would be really interesting or valuable to you? And they say yes. And then just pose the question, like, how much more a month would you spend with us? Sure. Right? Like, what is it worth? Yeah. Would they actually put money on it? Right? Yeah. Even if everyone likes the idea, but everybody's like, no, I wouldn't spend any more for it. Then you also get like, I'm saying yes to you to be nice because you've taken the time and it looks nice. And, you know, but if you're asking me right now how much more I'd pay for it, like, I'm, I'm not going to pay for it. I don't need it that bad. Totally. Like, yeah, sure. Give me this new feature. I might check it out. Sure. Cool. But I'm not giving you any more money for it. If, and honestly, I swear if I had asked that question, I would have got a lot of people saying, no, I'm not going to pay more for it because I don't care about it that much. And then that would have told me and saved me all the hassle of building this. And so there's actually two things that we're actually, we, the you know, topic of this podcast is course correcting, but there's also that like sort of preventative thing that we need to look at, which is like, how do you prevent yourself from building a feature that is actually not valuable? Yeah. Well, it's that question, right? Like, how did we end up on this course <laughs> to have to correct it in the first place? Yeah, it's definitely a piece to it. And it's like, that's something I still struggle with because I do build heavily off of intuition. Yep. But a lot of times that intuition isn't uninformed. It is from looking at what are other people doing? What exists? What are competitors allowing people to do? You know, it is taking in a lot of education across other things. It's even like I listened to probably six, seven talks from the local search summit. And it was just to get a feel for like, what's hot in certain areas? What are these leading experts, you know, pointing people in a direction, things like that. And then how does that play into, you know, what we're doing or what we should focus on? Or 
how can we even change our messaging to capitalize on it, right? So like in the case, right, both David Mim and Rand Fishkin's talk talked about email and its value and just how much it outperforms social, right? And social is such a shiny, we got to have it and it's sexy and fun and everything else. And we have a social feature we put a lot into and it's very popular and gets used. But I've also written a couple of things like, hey, don't just use this for social. You can use this for images on your website or images in your email newsletters. And it just reaffirmed to me, like I put out a couple of tweets, you know, piggybacking on your hashtag. I'm like, hey, if you watched Rand and David's talk and you saw, you know, so or email opens or 256x of engagement rate of social yeah. posts, like it's amazing. Yeah, you're ready to double down on email. Like we've got you covered with the same solution that does social. So it is, you do have to do a lot of that intake. Obviously having a way to capture the customer's voice, like we still sometimes struggle at that. We keep loose track. We don't have an exact scoreboard, but we do understand what people want in certain things and kind of loosely keep track of it. But we, I can't go and get like, oh, well, 19 people have requested this. so you're the 20th, like we really should build this. Right. But it would be helpful to make that more quantifiable. Yeah. You know, I was kind of feeling the same way, right? It's like, one, we're not really asking for feature requests and two, we're not scoring them. Right. So I think those two things are super valuable. And rather than me spending so much time trying to build based off of intuition, which of course, you know, I think I have decent intuition, except in the you know, rank tracker screenshots example, <laughs> you know, generally, I think I have a decent sense about what would be appealing to the market because I'm actively in the market. I'm always engaged in this stuff. Right. So, but I think it'd be awesome to pull our customers and, and make sure that we're building based off of what people want. It's an important lesson that I'm taking from this. Yeah. Well, one, I think you obviously like saw where things were trending. You saw how you were kind of like leaking on this. And there wasn't benefit and people weren't championing it. So you made the call to like stop, right? And I think that's a progression because a year ago, you might not have done that, correct? Yeah, we might have just continued to believe. In fact, I might not even looked at the numbers and been like, like I didn't even notice that it was like, oh yeah, I forgot we launched that thing and it's costing us this much. And you know, it didn't really impact subscriptions, but I'm trying to keep a closer eye on such things now. Yeah. And did any part of you want to talk to like the three people that loved it so much that were there? Like, because one thing I always struggle with, it can either be if you build something that doesn't take off, it either just didn't quite get over the hump where you built some, but not enough for it to really take hold. And someone else that does value it, like, could they offer you the last legs where then you can make the determination like, okay, it's going to take me another, you know, two weeks or another month to build it this much better or to add this other benefit to it. And I'll do that. And if that doesn't change it, then I will shelf it. But I'm, you know, I'm already 80% of the way. So just going a little further doesn't hurt. Or did you just say like, no, I know enough is enough. No one exposed anything great to me. It's just time to sunset it. Yeah, I think those are some really good ideas. And I would recommend anyone do something like you just proposed. In our case, we were limited and not really able to do that for this feature because one, we were exploring a whole new crawling architecture that we wanted to use instead of what we were currently using, but we couldn't because of screenshots. It was preventing us from switching to a much better solution that would 
allow us to maintain our crawl much better. And so we couldn't do it because of screenshots. And so that was like, gosh, these screenshots aren't paying us anything. Let's just get rid of them because that was the big driver of why we needed to do it. And then the other factor is our rank tracker product is you know something we're going to maintain, um, but it's not generally going to be the thing that we're going to put a lot of love into because we have a broader vision. We're going to build rank tracking into the broader vision, and then we'll eventually transition people over to our new software. And so when that happens, it's like, I don't want to poll customers and find out you know that I could make it better by doing this when I don't want to invest any more dev time into our existing rank tracking product. Yeah. Not easy, but sounds like you made the right call. You're doing a postmortem on how we got here. How can I understand what people want more? How should I do you know, more vetting of the value? Will they actually pay money for it? Things like that. I think those are all good lessons to learn and you have some actions to take next time. Yeah, 100%. So I feel good about it. I'm taking the lessons and continuing to learn and grow and get better. Interesting enough, I'm probably in the middle of your situation. So the timing of when you like sent an email on this last week and you're like, oh, and I want to talk about this. I was like, interesting. I kind of have this internal conversation going, but we have a a new reporting feature that we want to put out. I'm not going to get too specific and name it, but I want to put this out. And so we've gone through the concept We had to do a bunch of work in organizing the data on the back end. So a very long time of doing a lot of like just difficult data mapping, right? So one of those where you do all that work and you really don't have anything to show for it because there's nothing to show for it until you create a visual display where it's going to show. Right. So you do all this work on the plumbing data mapping, everything else, it's non-sexy. None of the world knows that you actually had to put in all this time to make that happen. Now, once it's done, there's a bunch of different things that we can do with it. Like it just needed to be done regardless of this report or not. Right. But then I took, all right, I created the wireframe, the purpose, the feature spec, all that, took it to our design and front end and got it put together. And so it's at that stage right now and close to probably going into a sprint for development. And I stumbled upon someone else doing something similar and they're doing it like 10 times better. Oh, right. And I'm just stuck. And like for a week now, I've been like putting off telling my product manager, like I've just been like, okay, we're already this far down. This at least gets us something here. The lift isn't too crazy with what it is. Like, it's getting something out the door, right? But then when I see how this other one's done, I'm like, oh, this is so much better because of this and this, and it's more visual and tells a better story. Like I missed on how I put this together. And now I've, someone else has shown me like, hey, here's what you should have done 10 times better. And so I'm trying to figure out like, do I just move it forward and take the win in a month that it's out there? Or do I course correct? shut it down, rewire frame, refront end dev, and like probably doesn't see the light of day for three months. What would you do? Yeah, right. And so is this a feature that you have pulled your customers, you know that they're all like waiting for this, you have a lot of interest in it, and it will provide a you know, significant additional benefit to your users. And in that case, it might be worth revisiting. If you think it's is like, 
you know, a small percentage will even care, then maybe you just roll out the basic version of it, right? Yeah. So we've definitely been asked for it. It's definitely something like in the space is, it's not a table stake kind of thing, but it's not a like, oh, this is the only tool that has this. There's like plenty of tools that have this, but it is something that's definitely beneficial in a number of ways. And I think the hardest part is getting to, you know how you have certain features that are like expected must-haves, no matter if people really leverage it or really love it. You know what I mean? Yep. And I feel like this falls into that category where a third will like really love it and use it beneficially and it helps them. A third notice it, see it every now and then, and they're happy that it's there. And then another third, it was like, yeah, it's a check mark when we were choosing tools, but we don't leverage it or use it. It's not a main driver for us. So that makes it even a little bit more difficult. Like just saying we have it and the basic one I put together, like that's going to meet two thirds of that audience. Well, then I think you just answered it, right? You're not going to go back to the drawing board on it, are you? Do you think it's going to be worth it? If it meets the need and it also get to put the checklist, you know, on your feature list, you know, I still struggle though. Cause I'd like one of my personal mantras, right. Is good is the enemy of great. And this is a perfect example of like, yeah, the, what we have in the pipeline right now is good. It's not great. Yeah. And especially like, sometimes you get that feeling and it gnaws at you and you're like, all right, you know, We'll work in some new features. We'll get to this as soon as I get this up, these other priorities done. But like for some reason, because I got to like physically see great from how someone else is doing it, I'm like, well, that's just going against my own ethos. That's pretty dumb. <laughs> yeah, it's like you just can't get past your personal need to develop something that's great. You know, you can't launch a what you would now consider half-assed version of it. Yeah. And when I look at it, like, all right, if I'm costing two months or three months, like what's going to happen in that meantime? That's so like, part of it is just this feeling to like ship new code and ship new features, which I think anyone in SaaS, like you feel it. Whenever I describe, you know, SaaS in like two words, it's, or in like in two main themes, it's ship code and sell. Like, that's the two main jobs you have in SaaS. And so part of it, like bringing new features, new eye candy, things you get to blog about, tweet about, showing a demo, all those other things, like you need that. It is part of your lifeblood. So part of me is like, oh, I got to put that off. And it was slated to be in this spot for something we can talk about. So I think some of it's just getting past that pressure that you constantly put on yourself to like whatever it is. 30 days, 60 days, like you need something new to keep people talking about you and to keep improving the product. Yeah, it's so hard. Like eventually you end up like, like in our case, our dev team is just so, you know, they're, they're pulled in so many different directions and it's hard to continue a fast cycle of shipping. Have you ever, have you ever seen like ClickUp? Do you use ClickUp? Uh, we do not use ClickUp. We are, it's ClickUp. Uh... It's like a Santa and Monday. It's like a, a project. Okay. Yeah. Now we use some Asana. We're more into using a lot of the other tools in like Atlassian now. So like 
Jira stuff, yeah. Yeah, Confluence and stuff like that. Yeah, well, ClickUp just blows my mind because every week, every Friday, I get an email from ClickUp saying, like, these are the, like, five new features we shipped. And I cannot believe how quickly they're launching features. And they're good features. It's like, they're serious things. They're launching new shit all the time. It's amazing. Yeah, but that's where you have to ask, like, what's the size of their engineering team? Yep. Right, where you have these... They might have, you know, I don't know that I have no idea what they have, but they could have five different teams of five that each one has a rotation, right? So you're building in your team of five and you release, and then you have five weeks till you have to release again in your rotation because the next team has week two, the next team week three, like. Sure. Yeah. If you have that cadence and you can do it, like that's pretty awesome. I want that. I want that, Aaron. How do, how do we get that? <laughs> you want that with like not even five developers, though. That's the hard part. I want that with my two full-time developers. <laughs> yep. Uh, shiny, wonderful things. I know. So wrapping this up, course correcting, to summarize, like I guess I would say it's something you absolutely have to consider. Yeah, sometimes you just got to cut bait Or as we talked about, you have to investigate enough to know, like, do I need to put more into this as one last effort, right? Right. Because you just, if you have the feeling or you have the data that tells you this isn't going the right way, it's just not that used, it's not making me more margin or more top line revenue, like those are all the wrong signals you want out of adding to your solution. Yeah. So knowing that, trying to predict it in advance, of course, is the best course of action, if you can definitely identify whether or not this feature is going to provide value. And I think it's the lesson for me is to invest more time investigating these features before I give them the go ahead. And then, but I do feel like, hey, I caught this one and it's time to course correct and cut our losses on it and move forward so that the team can focus on other things and we can save those costs because it's not actually doing anything beneficial to the business. Yep. You got to have the backbone to do it when you realize it's not there and sometimes some things just have to be cut and shut down and you move on. And then just as you're outlining postmortem, you learn. And I'm a big fan. I use a statement all the time, right? Like being proactive is an investment in your business. So more research, more listening, more vetting, asking people what they'd pay for that feature, you know, taking the right steps to validate that's an investment. And everything you do reactively is an expense, right? So when you're still trying to deliver it, when you're trying to make it work for people, when you're ignoring the fact that no one likes it or is using it and it's causing roadblocks to other things, like you're getting the bill on that in more than just dollars. It's time, it's everything else. Yep, 100%. All right, well... Maybe on the next episode, I'll let you know if I decided to redo this report or if I just stayed with it. But boy, I sure feel like, especially talking out loud with this, I need to course correct and go do it the right way and go from there. (laughs) I'm curious. Yeah, I'd love to hear it next time we talk, what you decide to do. Okay. My goal is to have that solved, not eat any more gas station cookies, eat more salads like you. Yeah. And then I should be in good shape in two or three weeks when we talk again. Yeah, looking good. Feeling good. (laughs) Sounds good. All right. Anything in closing, Darren, you want to share? Anything you're looking forward to or anything coming up in the next few weeks? Oh, sure. Yeah. There's one big thing. Uh, I presented it at the summit is our local search ranking factors. 
survey results. So I basically hacked together a presentation last minute so I can present, but the full publication is coming out. So I'm looking forward to launching that and then also measuring the marketing impact of that as well. It's a pretty big uh, resource in our industry. And so it'll be interesting to see what kind of business that drives. Yeah. As a sub point, maybe something we talk about as a focus in an episode, like I think sharing and using data as like a, as inbound marketing and as content people want is like massive. And you do such a great job with that. And having the local search ranking factors is massive. Like those are the kind of things that attract dozens or hundreds of links and mentions. Yep. It's massive. Yeah. Over and over and over again. And that's something we should probably talk about sometime. I think a lot of people miss the boat on that. Just how much data surveys expert surveys, things like that can just really fuel what you're doing for your inbound marketing. So let's mark that down for another topic. Yeah. And, you know, I don't do it like directly to make money. Like I think that there is a money making benefit, but I just want to clarify, I do it because I love it. It's like the local search ranking factors is a labor of love and publishing it, you know, I'm sure it definitely impacts business, but I would do it anyways. There you go. It's just what I love to do. Even better when you love doing it. That's right. All right. Thanks, Aaron. Yeah, great to catch up. Uh, Everyone, thanks as always for listening. We always appreciate if you reach out with any topic ideas via Twitter or via thesassventure.com. And if you get the opportunity and we're living up to our end of the deal of giving you valuable content, please leave us a review in iTunes to help others find the SaaS Venture podcast as well. So with that, until we talk again, uh, hopefully in the next two to three weeks. Sound good? Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Darren. And thanks, everyone. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Darren. Thanks, everyone.